How are we doing, church? It's good to see you all. Okay, yeah. Some of you are doing really well. Uh, good to hear. How many of you, uh, you were planning on going to 9 o'clock and you looked outside and you're like, uh-uh. Yeah, some of you. Some of you sitting at home right now, you are still saying, uh-uh, but we're glad you're with us as well. Uh, my name is Ryan Alexander, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Hosanna. It really is a privilege for so many reasons. I feel like we are in a breakthrough season here at Hosanna, and so it is a good time to be here. And, uh, and I also say it's a privilege because of who I am seeing right now out in front of me, and also those of you online and those of you who aren't able to join us this weekend for whatever reason, because uh, this is a special body of believers that God has brought together. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Of course you do, because you're part of it, right? And I look out, and do you know that you, that you are to be a part, you're invited to be a part, a unique part of a larger, of a larger entity, of a larger body, not just any body, but the body of Christ. You are invited to be a unique part, underscore unique, part of the body of Christ. And and the body of Christ, the church, is God's plan A for changing the world, for transforming the world, for uh, restoring the world to its original intent, God's original intent. God, God has a huge plan for his body, and you are invited to be a unique part of it. We need you to be a unique part of it. You, each one of you, are invited to be a part of a larger one. And that's the name of this series, One. It's based on the book of Galatians, and so we've been going through doing a deep dive in the book of Galatians, and uh, we're going to look at a passage in Galatians, of course, in just a little bit, so if you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? I think the ushers are still kind of scrambling. I see some right there. They'll bring a Bible to you. Just put your hand up, and we're actually going to be looking at a passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It's 701 in, in the Red Bibles, if you have one of those. This series on Galatians 1, everyone say one with me, 1. I believe it's stretching us. It's, it's taking us deeper, in some ways, deeper than we've ever been before as a congregation. I, I sense that. You sense that. It's also bringing us to higher ground, this, this series that we're in right now. Higher ground where we can be the city on the hill that Jesus talks about, shining the light of Christ into our communities and into the world. And I'm so excited about that. And I sense that it's happening uh, in your lives as well. Now, uh, last week, it certainly happened. Pastor Per Nielsen was here from Community of Hope in Rosemount, and uh, he, he really brought it, didn't he? He brought a message that stretched us, that challenged us, that encouraged us, uh, and, and brought us to higher ground. And I thought it was very fitting to have a pastor from another church community come and talk to this church community about unity. Didn't you think that was a good idea? Almost like it was planned or something, All right? And also just a seasoned uh, pastor, a pastoral voice like Pastor Pear. I'm thankful for the partnership we have with Community of Hope and for the friendship that I have with Pastor Pear. It was a good message. There were so many treasures uh, that he gave us. But one, the, the one that rose to the top for me was this, this word that, that unity has an outcome. That unity isn't an end to itself. Unity has an outcome. In fact, what I want to say is it has the most important outcome for us as a body of believers. This incredibly important outcome for us that we're going to come back to at the very end of this message. I just want to keep you engaged, okay? This, this outcome that unity has for us. So we're, going to do, we're going to go deeper into this topic of oneness and unity and talk about what does it look like. We're going to drill even deeper into that. 
First, I need to just tell you about some things my kids have said recently. Kids say the darndest things, don't they? I mean, think about kids in your life and some of the, some of the comments that they make just out of the blue, so random. The other day, our three-year-old, we were walking by one of those lakes that's a little bit dirty, right? And he goes, look, chocolate milk. Now, that may seem like a benign comment, but the day before, true story, we caught him drinking out of a rain puddle, all right? So I'm like, no, not chocolate milk, don't go there. Our middle son, Pax, he, uh, the other day, out of the blue, he, 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 he approached me, he said, Dad, if you had to lose your arms or your feet, or your, I'm sorry, your hands or your feet, which ones would you lose? And I was a little caught off guard by this, you know, obviously. He was really intense, too. I'm like, geez, what's going to happen here? And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I think the prosthetics are better for feet and legs. And so I probably go, he said, no, that's not an option, Dad. <laughs> which ones would you lose? Forced choice. And I think we do that sometimes with groups of people. Right? When it comes to our differences, we go, okay, well, there are differences. Hands, feet, they're different. They have different functions. They look different. So which ones are you going to lose? Right? They're different. So which ones are we going to lose? And we do this even as, as the body of Christ sometimes. We have these differences and we go, ah, which ones are we going to lose? Hands or feet. But here's the thing. As the body of Christ, we need hands and feet. We need the whole body. We need the whole body of Christ. Paul points us to this. Paul wrote the book of Galatians. We're gonna get there in just a moment, but he also wrote a number of letters that, that ended up in the New Testament, including this letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. And he describes the body of Christ this way. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Now, I underlined some words there because I want, us to, I want to draw your attention to those words. Many parts, but one. I think we could sum up the body of Christ, the church, what it is supposed to be this way, that the body of Christ is one yet many. Would you say those last three words with me? One yet many. The body of Christ is, is yes to be one, is yes to be united, but is also to be made up of many parts, many different parts, hands, feet, all the parts that make up a body a body of Christ, the body of Christ. And, and we're not to go, well, that's different, that's different, so which one are we gonna cut off and say, no. We need the whole body to, to, to experience the fullness that God has for us, for us to know the fullness of, of the body of Christ, the identity of the body of Christ, and to step fully into the calling that God has for us if, if we're going to be that entity that God wants to use to change the world to restore the world to, to how it was always meant to be, to be that answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The body of Christ is called to do that. So I ask you, do you want to be a part of changing the world? Okay, I'll take a small group of you out in the hall and we'll go do it, right? All right, I caught you maybe a little off guard. If you want to be a part of this body, this entity, God's plan A for changing the world, for restoring the world to how it was always intended to be, would you shout amen? Amen. Okay. Well, then let's look at this passage in Galatians chapter three. Now, quick background here review. Get everyone on the same page. The, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia were to house churches, not, not a big auditorium like this, but house churches, people meeting in smaller groups. And he's writing to the, the, this movement of house churches in Galatia, and he's writing to correct some, some theological differences that had, that had led some people to believe, because of this group of people called the Judaizers, 
that you needed to add something to Jesus in order to, to be invited into the body of Christ, into the, 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 the kingdom family. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. It is Jesus plus what? Nothing. That's the gospel. And so now he's, he's right. Now, we've looked at this, this particular passage a number of times, but I, I just had this thought, this thought dropped for me. I kind of like it, that there's always more juice to be squeezed out of scripture passages. <laughs> it never, they never run out of juice. So we're just gonna squeeze some more juice out of this one. You ready? Verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So let's just do a pop quiz here. How does someone become a child of God? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So, so you don't become a child of God through getting your life straightened out or getting everything figured out or getting your life cleaned up. No, that's not how you... <laughs> through faith in Jesus. That, that Greek word faith is pistos, which means trust. So how do you become a child of God? By trusting Jesus. By trusting that Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's period. You don't need anything more than that. You just say yes to that. I trust my life to Jesus. Yes. I don't have to get cleaned up, get everything straightened out or figured out. Yes. Last night, it was so cool. Someone came up after the service, said, I, I, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. First time. And she I prayed a prayer. We prayed a prayer together and said, yes, I'm gonna trust. Some of you might be ready to do that. Maybe once again or once again uh, for the first time. The first time or once again for the first time, I should say. Verse 27, this is what it looks like. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is so much in this verse, so much juice to be squeezed out here. That word united, united in Christ, brought together, made one in Christ. There's that word baptism. Now, if you've been around the church for any length of time, I mean the larger church, you probably get what I'm about to say, and that is baptism has been the source of conflict and disagreement and division for 2,000 years. <laughs> Pastor Pear talked about how the church went from one to two to three in around 1,000 AD to, you know, two to, in 1,000 AD to three in 1,500, and then now there are 30,000 different denominations in the body of Christ. Lots of division. A lot of them have been around this this issue of baptism or the, the differences around baptism, which is funny because if anything should be unifying, <laughs> you'd think baptism would do it. But Paul here, Paul here, he doesn't talk about when people should be baptized. He doesn't talk about how much water sprinkled or dunked. In fact, he doesn't even talk about water. He says baptized into Christ or in baptism, we have put on Christ. We've been immersed in Christ in like fact, the, the original language, it, it, it's like you're putting on something. You're sinking into something. When you are baptized into Christ, when you trust Jesus and, and you say yes, you are sinking into something like you're sinking into some clothing. Now, when you think about sinking into some clothing, uh, what do you think about? Do you men think about a stiff, starched dress shirt and tie? Do you think about that? <laughs> I don't, obviously. Uh, women, do you think about a polyester pantsuit? Is that what you think of when you're thinking about something comfortable to sink into? <laughs> I was uh, trying to come up with something and, and I, I think God gave me this, that uh, when I think about sinking into something, the first thought I had was this white, cozy bathrobe here. Now, I don't own one. 
and so I had to borrow one from a friend. And if you have a problem with me putting a bathrobe on, take it to the Lord, because I believe he told me to put this on, all right? We don't always hear God right, but I think I got it right this time. And so we sink into, we see, my friend's arms are a little shorter, but anyway, okay. We sink into this new clothing we put on Christ. When we say yes and we are immersed in him, we fall into, we sink into this new clothing. And, and this new clothing, I gotta tell you, this is soft. You gotta try it later, right? It's comfortable, right? It's cozy, it's warm. That's what it's like. That's what it's like, Paul is saying. It's like you, you put on this new clothing and, and in Christ, it's not a bathrobe, right? Literally, it is this new clothing of, of God's love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and, and this righteousness, this righteous being, what does that mean? Being right in God's sight, righteousness when you're in Christ. And so those of us who say yes to Jesus, who have trusted in him, it's like, we get to put on a bathrobe, we're wearing a bathrobe. This is your identity. You are made new. You are clean. <laughs> we sang a song just a little while ago about Jesus coming with a robe on, right? That's something that I think we're, that's going on right now, that we are taking on this robe of righteousness. The prophet Isaiah talks about a robe of righteousness that we will eventually wear. I like that it's white because Isaiah, again, in the Old Testament, he says that, that when you will come into this saving relationship with God you, through the Messiah. You, you will have these sins that were red as scarlet, but they will be made as white as snow. Are you seeing this? In Christ, you are wearing this robe. This is your identity, your primary identity. And don't see the bathrobe anymore. See, see the, the rightness in God's sight that you have that's yours in Jesus Christ. It's your primary identity. Let this sink in. And, and, it, and it means so much that I can, and I can even do justice to, but, but, but just let it sit with you that this is your primary identity made right in God's sight in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been through or, or you have it all cleaned up or straightened out or figured out, made right. Yes, trusting in Jesus. Now, does this does this mean that, that everybody's the same, right? Does this, does this mean that, that because we all have this primary identity that we're all the same? And this is where we can, we can say no, but I, I'm gonna leave this on, okay? You thought I was taking it off and that was, you were hoping, but, but Paul, Paul, he, he's able to say this, because we all have this primary identity. Verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so up until this understanding that we are given a new identity, this robe of righteousness, that verse doesn't make sense. What do you mean there are no, no Jew, Gentile, slave or free, or male or female? Because our primary identity as children of God is this robe of righteousness that we all wear. And because of that, these distinctions that, that we use to divide these parts, heads, hands, and let's cut them off and divide, and now they go away, and, and what we see is 
the identity that we all have in Christ. You see that? Now, this is a radical statement, radical, radical statement of equality that Paul is making here in the, in the body of Christ. Yeah, just to give you a sense for this, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, there were rabbis who, who taught this prayer, this prayer for Jewish men to pray, and you'll see why. That, that Jewish men would, some would, would pray every morning, thank you, God, that I am not a slave, that I'm not a Gentile, and that I'm not a woman. <laughs> I've only prayed that, that third part three times. We have three kids just to connect the dots for you. <laughs> You're strong women, right? But, but, but that's, that's how radical this is. But, but in Christ, those lines are erased, they're blurred, they're, we're brought together as one in Jesus Christ. But now back to that question, does that mean we're all the same then? Our primary identities are the same, but does that mean we're all the same? Or are there other parts of us, aspects of who we are, our gifts, our personalities, our, our callings that are very, very unique? We all have this unique calling. And that's where we get into our secondary identities that God has given us these unique attributes, each one of us. And I'm still Ryan, yes, one in Christ, robed in righteousness, but, but that we are still unique parts of the body of Christ. And we're not all to be the same. That wouldn't be the body. In fact, just let this kind of thought land for you. Oneness is not sameness. Right? Oneness is not sameness. To be one, to be unified, is not that we would all think the same, look the same, act the same, even believe the same in every respect. It's not sameness. Or if it, if it is sameness, it's not really a body. It's just a bunch of hands walking around or a bunch of feet walking around. We need the whole body of Christ. This, this body of unique parts. Which means, and hear me, really lean in here because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, but this means that we are one yet many, which means we have to learn how to embrace diversity. And I'm not talking about the politicized, you know, culture war kind of, I'm talking about the biblical value of diversity. I'm talking about this diverse creation that God has made. <laughs> has God made... <laughs> Is there beauty in the diversity? We were singing this song, this is my father's world. Well, let's think about my father's world for a second. The other day, we, wa- we were walking into our, our garage. We're, we're in the process of moving, so I'm not even sure if it's our garage or not, but we're staying with some friends, okay? So we walk in, and there's a big old snapping turtle. And they call snapping turtles for, snapping turtles for a reason, all right? Because they'll snap at you, and our boys were playing, you know, with them and, and sticks, and I'm like, get run away! Right? It's gonna bite your hand off. You pack, you want your hand taken off? Then you play with that snapping turtle. And, and so we got it out of there. But I thought, man, this is. I was thinking about this message. What a what a beautiful, diverse creation. Snapping turtles. Who would have thought? I wouldn't have thought of that. But God did. And he's thought about, you know, eagles. The other day, Jen and I were on a walk. I told you we were getting away for three days. It was beautiful. And uh, anyway, we were on a long walk, and, and just, just 10 yards from us, an eagle like landed, picked up a squirrel. It's gross, but picked up a squirrel and flew off. I'm like, this is amazing. And that's just too, think of all the critters that are running through your yard and the diversity of God's creation. 
Let's talk about humanity. I love that bumper video that we've had this whole series and all the different faces. And we know that God creates humanity in God's image. And there's a lot of diversity and, and, and beauty he's created in his Im- image. Amen? I see it right now. In the body of Christ, there is this beauty and diversity We are one, yet many. We don't want to all be hands and feet. We need all the parts of the body of Christ. All the parts. I was in college. um, One of my best friends, his name was Paris. It's a unique name, don't you think? And uh, Paris, I I was drawn to him originally, I think, because he was African-American, and I had grown up in a town where there weren't many African-Americans. I knew of two. (laughs) And uh, and so I think I was drawn to him because I, I I really hadn't known many people with that ethnic background. And, and, and then as I got to know him, I found that Paris had the most vitalized, kind of dynamic, uh, passionate faith that I had ever encountered. And, and honestly, as I thought about this this week, I, Paris really shaped me in those early years of, of, of me actively pursuing Jesus. Uh, I'd gone to church my whole life, but in college I started pursuing God and Paris and that friendship really shaped me. And I got to know him more and more, and we really had a friendship. He was in my wedding and all of that. But, but toward the end of our college experience, uh, he invited me over to his house. His dad is a pastor, and they were having a meeting of their elders, mostly women on this elder team, and, and they were praying. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before, all right? Um, I was like a fish out of water, but it was, it was powerful. And at one point during the prayer time, uh, one of the older ladies looked at me. She said, young man, <laughs> You're going to be a pastor of a diverse congregation someday. She knew I was going into ministry. You're going to be a pastor of a diverse congregation someday. I'm looking, is there another young man here? Because <laughs> I had grown up in Longview, Washington, and what does that mean? <laughs> that was 20 years ago, and, and it's, it, it, that thought has stuck with me, I believe. I didn't know it then, but I know it now that that was a prophetic word. It was a word from God being spoken over my life. I, I believe that. I'm confident in that. I believe that that is the calling for the body of Christ to celebrate all the unique parts that make up the body of Christ. I believe that that it's a unique calling that God's put on my life and therefore, as the lead pastor of this church, this church. But there are lots of ways to think about diversity. There's ethnic and racial diversity to be celebrated and to to be embraced. There's age diversity. Do we got some age diversity going on in here? (laughs) We do, and I love that about Hosanna. I think it's unique to have all the different generations represented here. It's not always easy. (laughs) And I recognize that for some generations, we haven't always gotten it right for you, but we believe that the the experience that we can have together as the body of Christ is so much richer. We got all the different generations coming together. Amen? Amen. I believe God's called us to have socioeconomic diversity and and diversity in in terms of people's church backgrounds and and diversity in terms of people not having a church background and coming in and and, and helping us to see things that we wouldn't be able to see before. You ever want to know, what is it like for a churchless person to experience church? Ask them, right? They'll tell you. This diversity, God, I believe, is saying this church is supposed to be like the body of Christ, the beautiful expression of God's diverse creation. Amen? But it's not easy. It's not easy because we, we naturally, in our humanity, gravitate towards sameness. To, towards sameness. Because we find it to be more comfortable and easy. 
right? People who look like us, who act like us, who kind of say the same things as I talk like us. It's easier. But let me ask you, does God always call us to do what's easy? Does he? Does he always call us to stay where it's comfortable? No. If you don't know the answer to that, the answer is no. He'll be with us. But the very very act of faith is stepping out where it's not comfortable, where it's not certain, where it's not known, where it's not easy. And so God is calling us out into these waters and he's given us some good counsel in his word, including right here in Galatians. How do we, how do we live as this one yet many, this, this, this unified but diverse body? And I just wanna touch on a few takeaways. It'll be good for you as we think about the church, but good for you as you think about your relationships and your your family, and and your workplaces as well. Okay, so first of all, how do we have this one yet many? We are to, Paul says, help not hinder. Help not hinder. Galatians 6, one through three. I'm not gonna read it. You should later. But, But he talks about how we are to help those who have gotten off course, who've gotten off path. How do people get off path? (laughs) There are limitless ways that people get off path with God and with the body of Christ. But let's just think about it in terms of this message. People get off path when it comes to how we think about diversity on all sides of the issue. People get off, off the path when it comes to unity and, and at times we can be divisive in our comments, in our presence. We can plant seeds of division even. And, and we gotta, Paul says, lovingly, gently restore people not pridefully or you know, in a condescending way, but, but, but humbly down you know, here, help people get on the right path versus hinder. And again, lots of ways we can hinder. We talked about gatekeepers and being gatekeepers in this series. I'm gonna decide what Jesus plus is and it's usually something that I'm doing, so I'm gonna say Jesus plus this. No, 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 no gatekeepers. And, and we're not gonna hinder those who are being invited to say yes to Jesus plus nothing is everything. I love in verse three, Paul says, some, some of us, including me, need to hear this from time to time. He says, if you think you're too important to help people, think again, because you're not, right? You're not. And then the second, the second takeaway, and this is, this is a biggie for a lot of us, is to own our part versus comparing our parts to other people's parts. You think, ah, oh, man, I'm a hand, I wish I was a foot, or I'm something else, I wish I was the head, or I wish, right? Paul says in Galatians 6, four through five, own your part. Get to work. Get, identify your part in the body of Christ and then get to work. Start doing it. Start living it out. Stop comparing yourself to other people either going, oh, I'm glad I'm not playing that part or Man, I wish I was playing that part. Play your part. God needs you to be you. I'm telling you, what part of my breakthrough is God saying, Ryan, you be you. <laughs> you be you. And I wanna release you as a pastor to say, you, we need you to be you. Not, not somebody else that you're comparing yourself to or not some expectation that someone's put on you. You be you. The comparison game, I'm just gonna step out because I feel like this is, this is big for some. The comparison game that we all play from time to time, it's killing you. It's killing your spirit. It's killing your soul. It's, it's taking joy away from your life. Comparing yourself to other people. This is a funny thought, but if you grew up when I did, you remember the show Double Dare. Anyone remember Double Dare? few of you. Okay. Double Dare was this, this game show for kids and there were obstacles and, and you had to run through slime and, and like comparison is like that. You're constantly putting obstacles in front of yourself. You're like running through slime. And here's what I would say. I double dare you to stop comparing. 
I double dare you to stop comparing yourself to other people. Experience the freedom. I'm telling you, I'm experiencing, experience the freedom that comes from being released to be you and who God has created you to be in the body of Christ. Stop comparing and own your part. The body can really get humming when that happens. And then thirdly, and this is the most important, that if we are going to be this one yet many, this united yet diverse body of Christ, we have to rely on a supernatural presence, a supernatural power, the Holy Spirit versus our human nature. If we rely on human nature, it's gonna come up division every single time. It's gonna come up division. If we rely on the Holy Spirit, we can know the beauty of this unity with incredible diversity in the body of Christ. And I wanna read these verses because at least the latter part of this passage is, is probably uh, one that you'll recognize. But here's the difference between relying on human nature versus being filled with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 in Galatians 5 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, dot, dot, dot. It goes on to talk about not letting grad parties get out of control and all that. And then verse 22, this is, so that's human nature. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit can fall on our lives, can fill up our very beings, can flow out of us, can bear fruit that leads to unity Though we are one, yet many. Hear them again. But this time receive them as a gift that comes in the Holy Spirit for your life, for your relationships, for this church. The Holy Spirit produces in you and through you this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace. Receive it. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. You want to sink into those clothes? God can give us his very presence in the Holy Spirit. And we can know all the goodness. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you hear that. It's fruit. This isn't the produce aisle you're picking and choosing. Fruit. It's all yours. And this robe of righteousness it can make unity, even with all the differences possible. I want to end with, with talking about the why. Why is this so important? And it comes back to that, that statement that Pastor Pear made last week, that unity has an outcome. Unity has an outcome in our lives. It's not an end to itself. It's a means to an end. And I would, I would suggest to you that the the outcome, the purpose, the, the end that God has in mind for unity within the body of Christ is maybe the greatest purpose and outcome that we could possibly imagine, certainly as the body of Christ. 
Jesus prays this prayer in John 17, and, and Paul was heavily influenced by Jesus, obviously, and Jesus' followers. He spent time with Jesus' followers, and so he was adamant about unity because Jesus was. Jesus prays this prayer that the night before he will kind of go to the cross, he's his last extended time with his followers, and he prays this prayer. He says, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. That's the purpose right there. That's the outcome. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see it? You see the, per- you see the outcome? That the world will know. Jesus is praying then, and I believe at the right hand of the Father, he's praying right now, interceding for the church and this particular church right now, that they may be one as the Father and I are one, so that the world may know that Jesus was sent by the Father and so that the world may know that they are that loved, that they are, are lavished in love, that they, have a, they can wear a robe of righteousness and know the, the, the forgiveness and the mercy and the peace, the joy, the fruit of the Spirit. Is that an important outcome? Is that an important purpose? That's the Why? This unity. That's why we've taken four weeks to talk about it. It's a personal topic for me right now because this idea of oneness, because uh, Jen and I had at our wedding, we had John 17 read at our wedding. And we were young. We we're like, oh, this seems like a good idea. And now we've come back to those words because lately we have been feeling pulled toward this idea of oneness. We're leaning in. What does it mean to really be one as a couple, to really have that deep, intimate oneness And we've come back to those words in John 17 where Jesus praised that for his followers. And then Jen said the other day as we were thinking about this, she said, oh, and isn't it cool? She's just, matter of fact, isn't it cool that it's our 17th anniversary this year? John 17. And one of the things we've been reading, uh, it said this, said that your, your oneness in marriage will be your loudest gospel message. What does that mean? It means you got two people who are very different, two firstborns in our case, who come together in spite of all those differences and they somehow through a miracle that only God can do through the Holy Spirit become one in such a way that people go, yep, that's a miracle. And it's beautiful. And it speaks this gospel message of Jesus is real and and he can do anything. It's true in marriage, but, but isn't it also true the body of Christ? Even more mind-blowing, God can bring people together with all the differences that we have. And I'm looking out, those of you who are here, and I'm looking through the screen, okay? You are beautiful in your unity and in your diversity, and it's a beautiful thing when God can do that. It's a miracle. And it says to the world, yep, God is real, God is real. There's no other way to explain it. God is real and and this Jesus must be real and the love that God wants to show us is real because of that unity. That's why this is so important. As we prepare to go today, I just, I do sense that the spirit is stirring in people's hearts and I would be remiss if I didn't just pray over that. Would you join me? Lord, I do sense that there are people who today are wanting to say yes to you. I want to say yes to just trusting in you, to sinking into your love, sinking into your forgiveness, to wearing this robe of righteousness that you have offered to us in your sacrifice. 
and your resurrection on Easter. And Lord, we, we also sense that there are people who maybe are saying, I wanna, I wanna know the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and so God, would you just continue to fill them, continue to pour out your Holy Spirit, God, the fruit more of you. And even since I talked about it, there are some couples here who wanna know that deeper intimacy, that oneness, Lord. Show them how to practice that, how to live that, how to know that in their lives. We thank you, God, for everything that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Unity has an outcome, as the world may know. And so as you go from here to live it, uh, just know that you are part of that, that city on a hill, shining a light into this world that needs to know hope and love in Jesus Christ, the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. And, uh, and I also just want to remind you that I prayed for you now, but people would love to pray for you up front in the prayer room for anything that I, I just touched on or anything at all. Don't, don't waste a second coming to the Lord and, and just giving it all over to him. But before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you, Hosanna. We'll see you next week for Father's Day.